like this week. Uh, it's time to pull the string, a little bit dirt out of your pants, uh, grab your ball and glove, and definitely you have to have your papers ready. This week, we're going to talk about The Great Escape on 100 Movies I Love. 100 Movies You Love. And I'm Jason Martin. I'm Paul Conlon. All right. And I'm going to talk about The Great Escape, which is... Yes. Is this the oldest movie so far? Yes. And yes. Uh, not only that, but it is older than me. Uh, it came out July 4th, 1963, yeah. which was right. uh, about two months before I was born. Yeah. I was, was going to say, I knew it was... Uh, yeah. I knew it was in that uh, that time frame for sure. Yeah. It's... By far the oldest movie we've done so far. I think the oldest was uh, The Sting. Yeah. Uh, it was 73. So this is 10 years older ten years than The Sting. Yeah. And uh, it's also uh, the longest movie we've done so far. Oh, on the nearly podcast. three hours. Yeah. yeah. It's not going to be the longest one on the podcast, but it's definitely the longest one so far. You have Gandhi parts one, two, three, and four. Right, right. The whole series. Right. And the prequels. Coming up. Yes. And the prequels. Um, and we're doing that as one big kind of watch. When we yes. get to that, we'll let y'all know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so The Great Escape, um, I mean, this was always a movie that I always, uh, you know, heard about. This is one of the great movies, and I, I didn't see it probably until uh, – I definitely didn't see it when I was younger. Um, saw it later on, but it was one of the movies I always heard about. This is a movie you have to see, and I don't necessarily watch too many more movies, but – I think I first saw it on Channel 17. Oh, okay. Yeah. WTBS? WTBS. Okay. Uh, here in Atlanta. Okay. Precursor to, uh, well, actually, if you got Channel 17, which was Turner Network and all that right. stuff uh, before Turner Networks, uh, <clears throat> that was a moment. Okay. Um, you know, WTBS was was originally was a station in Boston, and Ted Turner gave him a million bucks or whatever to buy the, the, the call letters. Did not know that. So it could be Turner Broadcasting. Trying to run against him. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Smart yeah. man. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't know, when this movie um, opens up, uh, you immediately see everybody entering the camp and they're looking around, they're checking under buildings, they're checking at, you know, angles to see the guard towers, to see what they can see or can't see, looking for blind spots, looking for weaknesses. Yes. James Coburn turns on the water faucet and tastes the water. Yeah, I guess there's something to that. I don't know, but make sure it's real water, not like salt water. Right, right. Something to tease them with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, you constantly see. I mean, you know, instantly everybody instantly testing everything, testing the boundaries. Right, right. Um, It's a good. uh, I mean, you know, if you're going to see this movie, you already know. You're you're know what's going to be about. It's about prisoners who are going to escape, and immediately you see that them looking for the way out. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you see uh, pretty early on, you see uh, <clears throat> that uh, I think James Donald, uh, his character is SBO, SBO. Which is senior British officer. Yes. And he's talking to the uh, the main uh, German guy, the head of the... Von Luger. Von Luger, yeah, yeah. And he's like, uh, it's a sworn duty of all officers to try to escape. You expect us to forget our duty? And Von Luger's like, yes, of course, of course. That's why you're all here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, the, uh, they make a point, uh, that, that it's the Luftwaffe that's running this camp and they're wondering why it's not the Gestapo. Um, like maybe that there's a weakness there or something, you know, Luftwaffe versus a Gestapo. They don't, I don't know if they ever really talk about that, but it's perceived as like 
Why? They're wondering why. I, I think it's kind of hinted at. I can't remember if it's explicitly stated, but it was so that the prisoners could be protected. That the SS would not be so kind. Right, right. They wouldn't follow the Geneva Convention and such. And right. the fact that they're putting all these incorrigible escape artists into one camp is another sign that this is like, this is your last digit. This is it. This yeah. is your last chance to survive as a prisoner Yeah, in our system. Because mm-hmm. if you can't survive here, you won't survive. And, of course, mm-hmm. 50 did not. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they, they mentioned the, the term putting all the rotten eggs in one basket. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, you see uh, you have Steve McQueen in there and uh, uses his baseball to test the limits of the guard towers. Yes. Basically rolls his guard, his baseball out there. I think he's a blind spot. Yeah. And just walks out there, you know, playing dumb. Like, oh, is this not allowed? I didn't, I didn't understand. Okay. Um, the thing is, he, uh, he steps out there at a time when guards are looking in slightly different directions in the middle of the daylight and he gets to the fence and right. he stands there for a little while mm-hmm. before someone notices him. Right, right. So his, his uh, observation of the blind spot is, I guess, accurate enough knowing that you got to be there at dark at night. Yeah. Have yourself some wire cutters and be through, which he does later on. Yeah, yeah. And um, the, uh, um, he talks to, uh, McQueen talks to Von Luger Saying, I see, I plan to see Berlin from the air and the ground before the war is over, you know, which yes. comes back later. Yes. <laughs> and back near the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, McQueen, uh, Hiltz is his character's name, gets sent to the cooler and he talks to Von Luger. He says, Oh, you'll still be here when I get out, right? You know, which is alluding to the fact that later many, on. well, yeah, but yes, but in general, you know, the Nazis had a reputation of guys wouldn't stay in charge very long. They'd be shot. Things wouldn't go the way they wanted, so you right. blame someone, right. you're in charge. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you, you know, hear that a lot on, like, Hogan's Heroes. There's always a threat of... I think you hear a lot of that in Washington right now, too. Well, yeah, true, true. Um, yeah, and uh, um, pretty early on, they talk about, uh, you know, the big... They talk about digging the tunnels, uh, Tom, Dick, and Harry. Yes. And, uh, and uh, you know, the big challenge is going to be getting the dirt out, which is something that, you know, I guess someone who's never tunneled out of something isn't probably thinking about that. But that's the hardest part is where do you put all the dirt? And uh, his name, uh, um, can't think of his name, uh, but he's a younger British guy, one of the younger sort of British guys, but he's the one that uh, – Comes up with the little thing, right? Comes Played up by David little... McCallum. McCallum, yeah, uh, yeah, McCallum. Ashley Pitt, yeah, yeah, Ashley Pitt, yeah. Dispersal, right? Dispersal, right? Um, man from Uncle guy, yes, yeah. Or the man from NCIS guy for y'all young kids out there. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, NCIS yeah. Uh, has been on for thirteen right. years. Right. He is the uh, or has been the lead uh, forensics guy. Oh, but, I didn't know that. Ducky. Okay. In fact, in like one of the first few episodes. Mm-hmm. He was an old guy when the show started. Mm-hmm. And of course, everyone was a lot younger 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. But someone asked Mark Harmon's character what uh, Ducky looked like when he was younger. And Mark, Mark Harmon goes, you ever heard of the name Ilya Kuryakin? Which was the name of the character he played in Man from Uncle. Man from Uncle. Okay. 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 Yeah. He uh, comes up with the idea of uh, a little, uh, you know, sack or whatever you want to call it with a string and a pin and you pull on it. Pin comes out. 
it's interesting. I think it's the first time I noticed that, uh, <clears throat> you know, when they, when they came in, they looked under the, the hut. To the yeah. Line. You saw all the, the brick pylons holding everything up. There's a lot of space under there, so they couldn't, like, dig a tunnel directly down. Yeah. And for the first time, I noticed that when they did start digging, they chose those brick pylons to go right through. Oh, okay. Uh, so when Danny the Tunnel King says, right through the foundation, you mark the first one under the under the stove. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> It was going right down the center of one of those pylons. Oh, that's why, they, not, that's why no one ever saw. You know what? I, I never thought about it. Actually, that makes sense now. And yeah. then, then the second one they showed—I can't remember which uh, which tunnel it was. Don't be quite mentioned the one. The shower was the same thing. You open up the bottom, and right. there's uh, a shaft down there with, with brick around it. And that's because that's going down through one of the pylons that's holding up the whole building. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, I never thought about it actually. That made, <laughs> that makes sense actually because I saw him looking under the building and it was you know empty except of course where your your stove was going to be. Yeah. Although there might have been one or two places where there's something close right. to the ground where they could there should be a gap they go through, but they never show that when they're going up and down through the tunnels. And it wasn't until this most recent watching the rise, oh, they went right through a pylon. Yeah. Okay. Basically. Okay. That's uh. I mean, that was pretty uh, ingenious the way they. Uh, Moved the stove, and they had the uh, what do you call it? The uh, boards from the bed. Uh, boards from the bed. Yeah, and uh, they were they were cut in a certain way to basically be able to lift the oven, lift the stove. You and know, when, when they first started digging into the, the foundation, right? With the pickaxe that was made by, mm-hmm. by Henley. Yeah, they had someone outside hammering. Yeah, a big metal pipe into the ground for whatever possible reason. Right, but they went ahead and timed it. You know, they pound on there, and he pound on. That as well to right. dig through right. without anyone noticing. I wonder if that's that's because that's certainly been used in the you know whatever heist or escape type things yeah. a lot. I wonder. Yeah, the first half of the movie was kind of a lighthearted, almost caper movie. Yeah, um, we're gonna we're gonna trick them all. We're gonna right. do our best to gum up the works. We're gonna you know, get these Nazi bastards. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I actually noted the point at which the movie changed because two things happened. Uh, Hiltz changed his mind mm-hmm. about how he was going to help yeah. once he got out. Yeah. And the screen went to black and held it for about 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ah, and I even looked at the phone about halfway through, an hour and 30 minutes in, exactly. Okay. I'm like, ah, okay, I see. It was exactly an hour and a half in, which is roughly half the movie. Uh-huh. And this was right after Ives was killed. Right. On the right. Fence. That's when he and decided that's, he was going to do whatever. That's when uh, Hiltz decided he was going to help. Yeah. Um, on the, by getting information on the outside, and the movie, the tone changed mm-hmm. because you know it was all kind of lighthearted. No one really right. got hurt. People uh, escaped and got back in. Mm-hmm. But then I just went crazy, stir mm-hmm. crazy, and tried to climb out in mid broad daylight on July fourth. Right. Right. Uh, while there's while the uh, prisoners were celebrating. Right. When they with the corn hooch, well, sorry, potato hooch. Right when they when they uh, they found the the stove tunnel, then I was at least felt like it was hopeless now, like he was never getting out. So yeah, might as well just do whatever, and yeah. who cares if I get shot and killed? And that's what well, he did. Matthews. Yeah, that's a good point that it was halfway. That it, yeah, I, uh, I looked, looked exactly at the, the movie at that point. Oh, I don't want to happen exactly. Plus, I noticed that they did fade to black. Or cut quite sharply to black and yeah. held it for about six to ten seconds. Huh. And I think that's just a, a sign from the, the director. You know, 
this needs to be changed. It's about halfway through, so they went from lighthearted, yeah, uh, caper type movie to we're going to escape and cause mayhem. Okay, an action. Well, also, I mean, it wasn't in it was it's not in the one I watched, not the one you watched, I guess. But this is a very long movie, and back then, long movies had intermissions. Yeah, it could very well. There actually uh, maybe there was actually an intermission. There could very well be. Because I know, like, I mean, I watch on Amazon Prime, but like, if you watch this movie on. If you watch movies on Turner Classic that have intermissions, they literally show the whole intermission, you know, for five or ten minutes or whatever. Um, you know, do even, little, let's go over to the lobby. Right, right, right. Because I actually watched um, um, King Kong in theaters um, about six weeks ago, and it was not a long movie, but at the beginning there was a what pretty much felt like an intermission at the beginning for like eight minutes. I, I feel like for I no seen, reason, really. <laughs> I've seen two movies in the theater and they both had, both had intermissions. Yeah. Um, three, if you count, I'll count, I'll say what the third one was, not really intermissions, but I saw mm-hmm. Reds mm-hmm. in the theater right. had an intermission and it was about 15, 20 minutes. Really? And I saw Gandhi. Okay. And I saw the intermission. Both of them had a, and they had to come up between this intermission, time to get up, walk around. Yeah. Because he eats more like three and a half, four hours. Right, right. Four, four hours. The third one I saw wasn't really intermission. Uh, many, many, many years ago, here at the Fox in Atlanta, mm-hmm. they held a, I don't know what it was for, it was called Go Ape. And what they did was they put all five Planet of the Apes movies back to back to back to back. Oh, okay. Back to back. And my mom took all four of us kids down there yeah. with some friends, dropped us off downtown at the theater, and we sat there all day long watching five Jeez. Planet of the Apes movies. Yeah. Of course, it was a great movie. So right, right. Really intermission. Right, right. Because I'm, I know I've seen on like on Turner Classic for sure. I've seen Lawrence of Arabia, and it has an intermission in its end of the movie. And I believe 2001 does too. I think. Um, I can't I've never seen 2001 with an intermission. Yeah, I think I can't. I would not be surprised. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's an interesting thing that doesn't really happen anymore. No, uh, yeah. they used to care about the. Uh, Everyone would be antsier sitting around because it was very family oriented. Yeah. Thing. More majority of movies were PG. Yeah. If they weren't rated that. Yeah. Nowadays, they care more about the R rating, which is about more adult audience. And they figure they can sit through a three hour movie if they need to. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. the, the most recent longest movie is probably Avengers Endgame or uh, uh, Infinity War. I don't know. One of those probably. two movies were pretty long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we're uh, we're talking about um, now we see uh, uh, Bartlett, which is Richard Attenborough's character, Big X. Big X. Um, and he he immediately comes in, and you can see he's someone important. Apparently, like he shows up after most of the other people are there. But and this brings up a point that uh, I never got before, and I was paying attention to it this time. I didn't get it this time either. Um, at the beginning. They're, the the Germans are kind of looking for the big guy, the the, the leader of the right. band, the, right. the, the right. leader of the little re- inside resistance, yeah. uh, big axe, as you will. And uh, and then part uh, of the character is brought in individual with a big town car with a, a big right. entourage right. of Germans right. and marched frog marched individually solely into the uh, commandant's office and got a mini interview with the SS and this mm-hmm. that, and the other mm-hmm. and. Uh, but there's no really mention or point out to him that he is obviously targeted as the big X. Mm-hmm. And then the prisoners themselves seem to think that, oh, we can't let the Germans let them get onto it. 
And so obviously they're already onto it because they brought him in individually. Yeah. Well, also when he when he came in to meet with uh, Von Luger and and uh, I think the Gestapo guys were there yeah. too. Um, yeah, I think it was a Gestapo and an SS and uh, even a uh, uh, Air Force guy. We're not German Air Force. What is it? Luftwaffe. Yeah. Well, but Von Luger's there, and it's funny because they all you hear him say "Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler," and then they're waiting for Von Luger, and he's like at his desk writing something with his head down. He's like, he puts his head up. Oh, Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler. It's a good telling thing to his character, like his state of mind. He's not really, you know, he's not really into it, and he's not—he's very half-hearted about the whole thing, and he's obviously not going to be a gung-ho person to try to, you know, try to put him all in whatever prison forever kind of yeah. thing. That's a kind of a kind of thing you used to see, like on, you know, movies, Nazi movies, that one of them wasn't was slow to speak to out. say how Hitler, yeah. you know. Oh, he's going to be on one turn. Right, right. And um, they start talking about their plot and uh, how many men you're going to take out. 250, you know, that instantly gets everyone's attention. Like, 250. I don't um, believe that by the time things go tits up, uh, right. 76 get out. Yeah, 76 get out. Yeah. And uh, uh, 50 are shot and killed. And... Uh, Eleven are returned, and that means that uh, the only six. the only three that get away are uh, oh, no, Trump. No, but they, they returned eleven. They said, "Well, they said three are account unaccounted for." Uh, I'm just you're right. The math doesn't. Add up. I, I think it was with the first people coming in. They said eleven. Oh, okay, Maybe yeah, because then Steve McQueen comes in, and Steve McQueen comes in as well. He's probably not with eleven. There's probably others right. here there, mm-hmm. and then there are probably others who get shot or whatever. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so, but uh, and there could be others that they. That get away with little characters that we don't know of. Right, you know? right. But the, by the math, right. 12 come in, 50 are shot, 62, that's at least 14. We know of three that definitely got away. Right, I was going to say, the three we know got away were... Although Danny and the other Tunnel King, you see them get on the big ship, but we don't yeah. get to know what happened to them after that. Well, it's implied, I mean, it's implied that, it's implied that they definitely got yeah. away. Um, and then James Carburn is, uh, gets, gets his, rides his bicycle. Through France and uh, gets a guide to España, and uh, so he's in Spain. Gets a phone somewhere. call, right? Gets, gets a phone call to take him out of the. Yeah, country. that's I love that scene. Like uh, you know, you see the. Uh, I mean, you don't know at first that we're in you know well not necessarily Paris but in France somewhere and it's a resistance and you see the Nazi officers and they're having having wine and uh, and then you see James Coburn with the newspaper putting the newspaper down looking around and he says yeah you have a phone call. He gets up there and he's oh, go, hello, hello, hello. And he looks over the two guys and they jump. Down right. There. Yep. <laughs> right, right. And uh, a predecessor to uh, the Tollbooth scene in Godfather, you know, like that guy knows or someone tells him what's about to happen. So he ducks down behind the, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a nice little scene. <laughs> and he just gets on his bicycle and it's riding away. Um, and uh, they, uh, you also have um, Donald Pleasant's character, the forger. Blake. Um, yeah. And then you have James Garner's uh, character, Henley. Scrounger. Um, he says, uh, what are you doing here? And uh, Donald Pleasant goes into a, a longer explanation. He's like, no, I mean, what do you do here? He's like, oh, I'm the forger. And uh, it's great to see Donald Pleasant's too. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, right from the get-go, I didn't notice this before, but he has this kind of far-off stare. He's not really looking directly at anybody. Right, right. And 
you get yes. it's, it's just like a kind of hint that something could be odd about his yes his sight yes. coming up yes because he doesn't exactly look directly at anyone or when he's talking to someone you can tell he's not looking directly at the person he's talking to yes he's already not a hundred percent vision yeah and you know the the second time I watched this for you know the podcast I mean I already knew that was the plot but I really noticed the second time I watched it and I saw him yeah like like almost like a blind person like they would be focused you, where they should be you on could tell where especially when you had both characters in the shot right. you could tell he wasn't exactly looking directly at who he was talking to yes he was a little more spacey and it could be trying to give a spacey character because his character right. did have a bit of a spacey attitude right 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 um, until he was down to work, down to brass tacks. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was uh, interesting that he was definitely not focusing in on whoever he was talking to or talking with. Yes. Even when he met with the big wigs, uh, Big X or mm-hmm. Donald or one of them. Um, and of course, that led to, I don't know if that was supposed to be a foreshadowing. Maybe mm-hmm. a little heavy handed foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was. Um, but it's. Um not a very obvious one, that's for sure, but it's definitely good foreshadowing if you've seen it, you know, several times. Um, and uh, when they they get the signal, uh, when they're Charles Bronson's characters, uh, they're working on the tunnel, they get the signal, so they put the stove back up, and he's in the shower, and uh, um, and they say he's taking a shower when the, uh, the guard comes in, and, you know, Charles Bronson with that great voice, I needed a wash. Whatever, and uh, James Coburn says, I'm the lifeguard. <laughs> what are you doing? Because they were out of place. Uh, I didn't catch right. this the first time. What are you doing here? He said it to a uh, first time king. Right, right. He goes, I mean, he shrugs his shoulders. And I'm mopping. Yeah, yeah, I'm all mopping. I'm mopping. Yeah, he's mopping, yeah. And uh, I'm taking a shower, yeah. and uh, I'm his lifeguard. You know, and you better get some clothes on because you're going to be outside for a long time. I, I didn't catch it the first time I ever watched it, or uh, I caught it this time that they were mm-hmm. all going to be. Outside, standing outside while they toss all the barracks. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, you have uh, Hiltz comes in. What were you going to say? I know. I just realized something else <clears throat> in that scene. When uh, they put the tunnel back together there for the shower scene, Bronson goes to the trouble of kind of re-cementing and covering yeah. the bottom of that thing. And then they throw water in so it don't go down. So they don't see that it's leaking. Mm-hmm. Of course, that is a big clue that comes up later on when they do find right, the tunnel Tom. Right. The ferret uh, accidentally spills coffee yes. and, and then pours more coffee to see. Right. Right. Whereas on this tunnel, which was, it was tunnels of Dick or Dicker Hair came over. Can't remember. But uh, that was part of the whole hiding of it was using water mm-hmm. that wouldn't go through it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. A little foreshadowing right there. Oh, definitely. Um, and you have. Uh, I think this is maybe the first time Hiltz is talking to uh, um, to um, Big X and the uh, senior British officer. They're talking. He's t- basically saying, "I'm going to talk about his escape plan and talk about." You know, it's so simple, so simple. Why don't we think of that? You know, and like basically, they're like, "He's going to get caught." Yeah, but yeah, that's good because if we. Stop all escapes. Then they're going to be. They're going to look for something. They're look for something bigger, maybe. Yeah. And uh, Steve McQueen's just like the. Oh, we're just going to do this and do that and do that. Yeah, his, his description of the escape. When he's in the ground, he's going to tell him 
in front of right. him, push back, I'm going to push behind you. Yeah. It's going to be easy, easy peasy. When they show up after being caught, they're all caked in mud. Right, exactly. So obviously uh, they ran into some water or it rained or whatever. Or right. They, they probably rained in the tunnel collapse on them and right. they get caught. Um, so uh, it was like, oh, they were right. able to explain what happened without showing what happened, which was a really good filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Um, and uh, um, you have, uh, you meet Werner the Ferret, you know, the, the German guard that uh, James Garner talks to a lot. Um, it's a great, you see the little sympathy there with him of, uh, you know, of being a, a nice guy, whatever, Nazi, whatever. It's a good, a good device, you know, you know, not necessarily everyone's, a, you know, an asshole all the time. I think that scene was not so much as Ferret's a uh, somewhat decent guy. It's that he can be manipulated yeah. and turned. Oh, yeah. And, of course, you, you think that's what's going on until Garner tries to force the chocolate bar on him and right. ends up lifting his wallet so he can get all yeah. the dirt from him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and... Uh, uh, James Garner's character Henley says it's a soldier's right to complain, and and Werner says, "Well, maybe in your army," yeah. <laughs> um, which is, I'm sure, very true. You yeah. know, I just remember something else. Uh, I did recall it while I was watching the movie uh, when Hilts went out after the break and came back with the information. I'm going to go out. I'm going to get the lay of the land. I'm going to come back, and they said. And uh, I think McConnell said, I can't believe he got caught so quick. And Big Dick says he didn't get caught. Mm -hmm. What I noticed was his pants were wet right up to oh, okay. his, 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 like, his crotch. It mm -hmm. was all, his leggings were all super, super, super wet. Mm -hmm. like, well, there's a story there, but they're not telling it. They're just showing it. Yeah. Again, you know, something yeah. happened. He's probably running around on the water or whatever and got caught or whatever. Yeah. But there you have indication of what Hilt was up to without actually having to describe it or say it or show it. That's a good point. And, and back then it was, you know, it, it was, it was legitimately meant that way. You know, it meant, meant that way. In other words, meant to tell a story without having to go through the detail or show the film. Right. Because it's cheaper to just show him. Right. In a different state and our imagination yeah. take over. I didn't know that it was the water. Well, I mean, legitimately, I'm sure it was meant that way back then. Whereas a lot of movies now, they may have shot a bunch of extra scenes yes. and some didn't make it in. But and, and it would be just sloppy. In this case, I'm sure they probably meant it that way. I guarantee it. Um, and um, you have the um, um, the forager doing uh, the bird watching and uh, drawing birds on the chalkboard as a as a cover. Um, so the uh, so the oldest people would be in the room, like a classroom, doing right. artwork. Right. So if someone just looked in the window, oh. Right. They're drawing birds when they might actually be forging documents. Right, they're all forging documents, <clears throat> making fat, fake passports and uh, whatever, whatever IDs they need to get away. Um, and uh, I like um, Big X, Attenborough's character, you know, talking to Steve McQueen. What we don't have, we have a map all over Germany. What we don't have, we need a clear map of what's just beyond the trees. Yeah. How to get to the train station. That's what we don't know. That's a pretty good, uh, you know, story yeah. plot. When they ask him to go out and get caught and come back the first time when she doesn't want to, I didn't do any research on this, but uh, Big X had that kind of like birthmark yeah. on his yes. eye or a scar, scar, or whatever. I think it was, was a scar. that character or was that Attenborough? 
I think it, no. I I think they would have. I think they would have put makeup on it if it was just him. No, I mean uh, they they could have like might have actually had that scar and said, you know what, beautiful character. Oh, that's possible. Or, that's possible. But I'm wondering if they uh, again they just added some level right. of like Robert to- Shaw having a real limp yes. when he did the sting. That's possible. Um, but I know they definitely. Obviously, intentionally left it there. And, and, and it could have been a, you don't know what a recovering black eye. It could be what it was intended to be. You know, what it was, was it actually an X scar? Uh, no, no, it was it was discolored. It was right, like, right, right. around the eye, it was discolored yeah. as if he'd been hit or punched yeah. um, or had some other problem going hmm. on. I didn't do any research to see if that was actually Richard Attenborough yeah. or if that was the character. That's a good point. Um, I'm guessing they put it there to make you think something happened. Yeah. But I don't know. It's a good point, actually. Um, and uh, the uh, you think that we do research this and figured it out by now, right? Right, and uh, you see, they're getting the slats out of the bed and they're falling through the bed, and uh, to use uh, to prop up the tunnel. And you see Cavendish going through, and yes. and it already set this up the first time they got to the barracks. He he claimed the top bunk, yes. and you see him go up and jump on the top yes. bunk. So they already set it up, and you already know what he's going to do. And he just goes up there and goes, and then Steve McQueen says, uh, never mind. And we'll be right back after this. We uh, don't necessarily want to interfere. It's just that, well, what sort of blitz were you contemplating? Well, we sneak out at night to a spot I found near the wire, a blind spot. Then we dig straight down three feet, take the dirt, spread it on top so it won't make a pile, and then straight out. Ives here is a tunnel man, so he digs in front, pushes the dirt behind him, and I stash it behind me. Then we just burrow right through the dirt like a couple of moles. And by dawn, we're under the wire, across the open space, into the woods, and gone. When do you intend to try this? Hmm? When do you intend to try it? Oh, tonight. Um... Hiltz, this may not be quite the right time for this sort of thing. Look, sir, I've been in the bag nearly three years now, bloody close to being wire-happy. It's a blitz out for me or forget it. It'll work. I know it will. Good luck. Thank you. Hilts, um, how do you breathe? Well, we got a steel rod with hinges on it, and we shove it up and make air holes as we go along. Good night, sir. Now, why didn't anybody think of that before? It's so stupid, it's positively brilliant. Oh, but it'll bring every goon in the camp down on top of us. I don't know. Perhaps we're being too clever. If we stop all the breakouts, May only convince the goons that we must be tunneling. I hope it works. If it doesn't, those two are going to be in the cooler for an awful long time. Okay, we're back here on the podcast talking about The Great Escape. And before I forget, this is actually our Memorial Day weekend movie. This will um, be coming out in Memorial Day? Yep, it'll be coming out uh, right before Memorial Day weekend or during that weekend. Um, occasionally, when we can, we try to time movies... Uh, to a certain holidays, uh, Christmas, and uh, we did one for Super Tuesday and things like that. 
And uh, <clears throat> what would we do for Valentine's Day when Sideways came out? Yeah, and Sideways with Valentine's Day. Not exactly Valentine's Valentine, but more romance. Romance, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and of course, also considering what was going on with coronavirus, the Great Escape, everyone wanted to get out. Yeah. It's good almost any time right now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we accidentally got The Shining <clears throat> for an isolation movie. Accidentally uh, or on purpose? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Kubrick has uh, started working on that. I think Stephen King was in her head. The stand, he wanted us to do The Stand, but there was never really good movie for The Stand. Yeah. Or not yet. <clears throat> yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, we have the uh, On the Great Escape, uh, the Rotten Tomatoes scored 94. 94. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, very good. We've got all, pretty much all the ones we've done recently have been like 93, 94, 97, somewhere in that range. In the Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. yeah. Really good. Um, you have good taste. Yeah, yeah, lately, yeah. Um, the budget for this movie, uh, four million dollars, which 1963, that's pretty substantial back then. Imagine a lot of, I, I believe a lot of the uh, motorcycle scenes were shot on location. They didn't have to be for those mountains in the background. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure a large, large part of the budget. Mm-hmm. Was there because it's obvious that everything else was shot on on a set somewhere. No, oh, yeah, in England, Pinewood Studios, perhaps, or somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Um, the box office for this movie at the time, box office eleven point seven million, which is which is decent for back then, but um, only three to four times, only about three times the budget. So yeah. not a tremendous profit. No, no. Um, this movie has certainly uh, lived on. Way, way beyond what the box office success would tell you. You didn't win any awards? Uh, yeah. And before I forget, the, the adjusted box office on this movie, $99 million, which is solid, but it's kind of uh, it's kind of low compared to a lot of the movies we've done. Um, and, uh, well, it, as far as awards, it had an Oscar nomination for editing. And that's, and that's it. pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing you definitely know about this movie, everybody knows, is the song. Oh, by the way, if you've never score, yes. heard of this movie, don't know who Steve McQueen is. If you hear is, people whistling it, you know. Right. And it's been, I tried looking it up and it was hard to find, but I know it's been. Well, Breakfast Club, I can recall. Oh, true. The, them true. Kids, uh, started whistling. That's song. true. Seems like they did it on, on their Friends episode too. And I was trying to find out, but I know it's been referenced a lot. Um, and uh, because it's easy to, to catch, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was actually looking for, I don't know, I had one of those false memories that the whole camp was whistling the song, but they weren't. I don't know why I had that false memory in my head, but, but as maybe it was Hilt was, was coming yeah. in the last time. Well, they're whistling uh, Yankee Doo Dandy, right? When they're doing the fourth of yeah, they're but, doing that, but they've also got the, the drum and the fife, yeah, they're not exactly whistling so much as they're playing, and then the music score, true, is filling it in. That's true. Um, but I had the sense memory that at the end of the movie, when Hills came back in, that they were whistling that song, right? That well known, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and the uh, on the IMDb rankings, um, this movie is 136th of all time, wow, which is uh, we talked about the IMDb rankings, our voter, uh, voter rankings, and they change potentially every day. And uh, it's pretty solid. They had the top 250 on there, so that's a pretty good uh, ranking. Yeah. Uh, considering it's an older movie, it's 
That's a pretty good, uh, pretty good ranking. It's a little tougher for the older movies. To it, get. Is this going to be the oldest movie on your list, or is it older? No, it's definitely not the oldest on the list. Okay. But there's not a lot. There's not too many that are older. Is Citizen Kane on your list? No, it's not. Wizard of Oz? Yes. Really? Yeah. Okay. We'll have to there's at that. least, uh, I don't want to give them all away, but there's at least one more that's older than this, aside from Wizard of Oz. At least one more. Maybe two. Um, and um, well, do you have It Happened One Night or Gone with the Wing on your, on your list? No. Okay. No. So, Although I like it. It Happened One Night very much. It's really good. Um, um, but uh, so you already talked about first saw the movie. Um, so you said you probably saw it on TBS. Um, yes. Uh, there's no way I saw this in theater. It came out. I wouldn't even born yet. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, well, I probably ran for a while. <laughs> uh, probably. So I must have been 10, 11 to 13. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in that range when I first saw the whole thing all the way through from beginning to end. Okay. And it was probably with my dad or my parents. Oh, this movie coming, you need to watch this really good movie. Because mm -hmm. we used to, uh, you know, sit in front of the TV and watch the movies when they come on in their entirety with the commercial mm -hmm. breaks. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was an event thing because back then, you know, too poor to actually go out to a movie except maybe uh, once every two or three months. Yeah. Um, and uh, always then it was always new, obviously, because it was in the theaters. Right. So the older movies, TBS or other uh, yeah. UHF stations were yeah. uh, the source to to watch them. And I saw uh, tons of yeah. really good old movies on yeah. TBS. Yeah, and I know, I remember TBS, I mean, I didn't have TBS where I lived until probably 1980, because, I mean, I grew up in the North where TBS wasn't necessarily an automatic thing, but it became big about 1980. Yeah. And But it, TBS was... I mean, there was constantly old movies, war movies, really. I mean, on TBS, and I necessarily—I didn't necessarily watch too many of them, but I knew the Great Escape was on constantly and knew about it. And I probably saw it on—I uh, probably didn't see it until like the mid '90s on uh, Turner Classic. Um, well, this was an MGM movie, and I believe it was the MGM library that Turner purchased mm -hmm. in order to make yeah. Turner Classic movies. Mm -hmm. uh, so all of those great MGM movies were the bulk work of TCM. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, the spillover was they would also be showing on his other stations. Yeah, and in higher rotation. Yeah, yeah. And it was always a movie I knew I should see, and eventually I sat down and watched it. And now, obviously, it's on my list. So yeah, seen it many times now. Um, yeah, you mentioned before the race date in this movie was July fourth, nineteen sixty three. Um, it's quite a cast of uh, movies in theaters at the time. Uh, I'm going to go through all these here. There's a bunch of big ones here. Dr. No, Cleopatra, Eight and a Half, Douche, Ermola Douche, okay, Lord of the Flies, Jason Argonauts. Wow. Um, Lots of well-known movies. Yeah. I mean, the first uh, James Bond movie. Yeah. Uh, Cleopatra, which was an enormous movie with uh, Louis Taylor and the uh, was well-known, like, super highly way above budget type thing. Yeah. Uh, eight and a half. Um, yeah. Probably one Bellini's of the... Right. Most, probably most well-known movies. Yeah. The, probably one of the most well-known foreign movies ever in America. Uh, Lord of the Flies, an iconic movie. Herman the Douche, also a well-known foreign movie. And uh, Jason and Argonauts. Uh, Harry Housen's uh, stop-motion animation. The big movies that yeah. uh, help... Produce and promote that type of uh, special effects. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of big, uh, 
big movies. Did you see any of those in the theaters? I saw none of those <laughs> in the theaters. However, I think I actually did see Dr. No in the theater okay. many, many years later. In okay. I can say I did not see any of those movies in the theaters. So, oh well. Um, because my parents were in high school. So, you know. Um, so they, they wouldn't let you watch them? No, no. And uh, the uh, director on this movie, John Sturgis, uh, one of the big old Hollywood type directors. Um, some of his movies, uh, Magnificent Seven, uh, Bad Day at Black Rock, The Eagles Landed, Ice Station Zebra. Um, Bad Day at Black Rock is one of my favorite movies. Really? Yeah. I, I know the title. I've never seen it. You should uh, watch it. It's a Western, right? It's a Western. Mm, I can't remember. A little bit different. Okay. A little bit different. Okay. Um, and uh, Magnificent Seven is certainly one of the most iconic uh yeah, based on Kurosawa's uh, Seven Samurai. Right, right. Um, and this movie legitimately has a uh, has a tagline. It's not the worst. It's not great. But tagline for this movie is put a fence in front of these men and they'll climb it. So that's the tagline. That is a great one. Yeah. Um, and I had to look up because uh, I was curious. Hogan's Heroes debuted September 1965. Definitely based on this. Yeah. Um, when I was growing up, it was Stalag 17, and this one were known to be mm-hmm. precursors to Hogan's Heroes. Right. And if you actually look at the progression from Stalag 17 to right. Great Escape to Hogan's Heroes, you see the plight of the prisoner become more and more humorous mm-hmm. and more and more palatable. Right. Uh, Stalag 17 was definitely more dramatic. Yeah. Although there was lots of humor in it. Gallows humor Robert Clary was in that too, wasn't he? Uh, was he in that one? I can't remember. I'll have to I think he, he might have been. But. Um, and then, of course, The Great Escape, like I said earlier, the first half of the movie is kind of lighthearted, almost a caper movie. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's more wide-open shots, more daylight, yeah. more openness, not as closed and claustrophobic as you might think a prisoner of war concentration movie, concentration camp movie would be. Yeah. And then, of course, Hogan's Heroes was a wide-open sieve. You know? Yeah, yeah. It was like a... Like a train station. Yeah, and then and Hogan's Heroes is is there's not many sitcoms from that era that I think legitimately hold up. That one does. And because it didn't take place in the era, it took place in a different era. Right, right, right. And therefore you can go back to it and looking right. at what they did then, like, well, they're just making fun of the past. Yeah, yeah. And it, it just it, it holds up. It's like it's still funny. It's still um there's not many not many 60s sitcoms that still hold up and like are still funny. Uh, but that one does. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was basically two years after that. Uh, it was two years after that uh, Hogan's Heroes came out. And um, the uh, – so I guess the next point here in the movie uh, is uh, we're going to talk about the where they're making the moonshine. And because uh, you hear them talking about why are they getting all those potatoes? Yeah. I can't, you know, Big X says, I can't bloody figure it out. I don't know why. And uh, you see they're making, they have a still and they're making moonshine. And it's the three Americans. Yeah, yeah. The only three Americans right. in the camp. Right, because. They, they made a point of that earlier, the only three Americans. Because I guess British people don't know how to make illegal liquor, apparently, yeah. according to the storyline. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that any Scottish man there probably could. <laughs> right, exactly. If McDonald and, and I had gotten together besides just drinking. And singing songs, they probably could have come up with Yeah, yeah. And uh, so they make, uh, they're making liquor, and you don't know why they're making moonshine. And uh, so 
you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's they're, the 4th of July. So. They're throwing up the American flag. They're in their fife and drum corps. Right, right, right. Uh, costumes. Right. Which might have been a bit of a clue to the Germans that they're able to make costumes, you know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Look at that. They're, they've been able to make costumes and an American flag. How do they do that? Right, right. It, that's a good point. Uh, I don't know if the Germans necessarily have been cool with the whole uh, thing. I don't think it quite went down exactly like that right. in real life. No, yeah. no. And they were talking about the, they were sort of making fun of the British, like, you know, hang the British or whatever they were oh, yeah. saying. And, uh, and then the, the German, the ferret guy's like, yeah, but they attacked your capital in 18, 1812. Like, well, yeah, it was 150 years ago or whatever. But, <laughs> well, 150 years ago from when the movie was made. But, um, of course, that would be a propaganda thing. They would be telling the Germans that the British and Americans hate each other, which would be a good thing to try to maybe divide them. Um, and uh, it was, well, this is pretty soon we already talked about it, where Ives, that's, you know, everyone's outside celebrating, and that's where the, the German officers are inside. And they discover the tunnel. The main tunnel. tunnel. Yeah, yeah. The one that's nearly done. Right, right. And that's when Ives realized that, yeah, at least he thinks it's hopeless. It's hopeless. He's not going to get out. He can't handle it anymore. Yeah. And he goes stir crazy to the point of no return for him. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we mentioned earlier where the ferret had dropped his, spilled his coffee, and that's where he sold the liquid. And, yeah. Um, and that's where, uh, and Hiltz agrees, like, you know, I'm going out. and uh, I'll, I'll get the information you want, and I'll bring it back to you. Right. right. I'm not just going to get out and stay out. I'm going to find out what you need to know, and I'm going to come back in here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you see him uh, giving their passports. Uh, um, he's giving their passports and practicing their German, you know, and uh, and then he, he said something like, thank you. He, he said, uh, he's, he's talking to the one guy in, uh, in German. I love that. And he goes, oh, your German's good. He goes, thanks, sir. Goes, oh, you mm-hmm. felt almost mm-hmm. the book. And of course, that's a big clue because later on, he's, he's the uh, one that Donald's on. Right. Falls, falls up. Yeah. Has a little bad luck. Yeah, and uh, you see the uh, the vision problems with uh, the forger, um, and uh, you know he see, he puts that pen on the ground, yeah. you know earlier, so he can find it. Yeah. And it's that's actually a, uh, I think they took that for uh, for Cheers, because um, there's a pretty famous episode of Cheers where uh, Cliff gets hysterical blindness because the girl Maggie is dating him. And uh, so before she comes over, he puts a dime on the ground and he already knows that it's 1973S or whatever it is. And he puts that on there. And I think they took that from there. Like he already knew. No, no, my vision's fine. Look, this dime, 1973S. And I think they completely stole that, actually. Absolutely, yes. (laughs) From from the Great Escape. Um, And uh, yeah, it's, uh, and uh, you have Big X, uh, you know, basically puts his foot out to trip him. To prove, and then James Garner says, "No, he can go with me. He's going with me," um, which was a nice uh, little moment. Didn't necessarily work out great, but yeah. Um, that reminded me of something else at the very beginning of the movie. Um, the credits mm-hmm. prior, the above above the title credits, there were three names. In order, they were Steve McQueen, uh-huh. James Garner, yeah. Richard Attenborough, and then the title of The Great Escape. Okay. And it just drove me to, oh, wow, those were the big three stars in 1963 at that time. Okay. Who were amongst everyone there 
Yeah. It was a big three. Yeah. Whereas from my historical perspective, especially with teams going to be on TV for so much, right, right. finals and, right. and so much. Uh, and I know the, at least the, the, uh, Richard Attenborough for his directing and mm-hmm. everything else. We went over from Jurassic Park. Right. Uh, his, uh, his, uh, his identity from that. Mm-hmm. Of course, Steve McQueen died fairly young. Yeah. And had his, uh, his, uh, well-known identity. Yeah. And I would see Steve McQueen, Richard Attenborough there, but I wouldn't put James Garner up front. That's what I thought too. Was he already big in the States? Yes, because he was, uh, was Maverick he was, was already on there? Maverick was on. I okay. He was, uh, I don't know if 63 was one of the biggest shows out there, but it probably was because it was certainly, yeah. that was a black and white. So it was definitely probably prior to 63. Yeah. Um, that, uh, yeah, it's that true. Was, exactly. So those were the big three. And of course, many of the other character actors in the yeah. movie, we, we get to know major stars, like mentioned David McCallum, who right? Went on to uh, the Man from Uncle, right? CIS and other things, yeah. And, and many of them had very long careers. Uh, Nigel Stock, who was Cavendish, uh-huh. uh huh. One of the last things I remember was uh, young Sherlock Holmes, he was the, okay, the old man that was the mentor, for yeah. Sherlock Holmes. Well, in uh, Ives, I looked up, he was uh, I don't know how often he was on, but he was on Doctor Who, the old Doctor Who. Played according to this two different characters, so he may have only been on two episodes, or he may have been on or two series. Right, it's hard to tell where the way. Well, the, the old Doctor Who, the old Doctor Who would do right. five or six episodes for a story arc, mm-hmm. and the same characters right. were in that right. arc. True. And True. then they would do another story arc, and so on. Yeah. And then they'd have three or four or five story arcs per season, mm-hmm. and then they'd come back and do another season. And after three or four seasons, they'd change doctors. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, the story arcs are much smaller. The, the newer shows, they may be a two-episode story arc. Most of them are one-offs. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, he was on Doctor Who. I mean, obviously, Charles Bronson. Yes. One of the biggest action stars of all time. And um, was below the line. Right, sure. right. He was, you know, he was one of the, you know, characters in the movie. He was one of the characters you definitely knew, but he wasn't a, you know. It's interesting seeing playing a Polish uh, is that what he's? I'm yeah, trying to figure out. Polish. Actually, he's Polish. Okay, he's character Polish. I mentioned for time. Yeah, and that's why he's got that the strange accent, right, which right. also may have to do with his voice and mannerisms. Right. right. How can we explain this? The look and sound of this character. Oh, he's Polish. Okay. Okay. You know, yeah, I kind of looked it up. I was wondering what they're trying to do there exactly. Obviously, he wasn't American. He wasn't British. Yes. He wasn't. And I don't think he could pull off a British accent. It's probably no. Like, you have to be British. There's no way to do a British accent. Right, right, Or right, he did right. one, and they're like, there's no way you can do a British accent. <laughs> right, right, so exactly. You're going to do that, but you do, but we're going to say you're Polish. Right. No he, could, he wouldn't even be believable as like yes. American, I guess, yes. you know, back then. I uh, know. So I think that's what it was. He was uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good Polish. point. And then uh, you have, uh, of course, James Coburn also was a major star. Yeah. And uh, he was playing Australian. Australian. Uh, Cedric the Australian. Yeah. Which uh, threw me off because uh, I swear sometimes in the movie he spoke American and sometimes it was British probably, Australian. Probably, yeah, probably so, yeah. And, uh, you know, James Coburn, you know, became a big star. He was in a lot of stuff. Well, too. right after this was the Flint movies. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Flint and, and uh, the three or four funny looking James Bond knockoffs. Yeah. Know, I like them. Yeah. Um, of course, he did a lot of other things. Yeah. And do you remember he had a show in maybe 82, 81? The TV show? Called Dark Room, where he was the host, and it was definitely a Twilight Zone knockoff. Uh, I do not remember that. No. I'm guessing that lasted one season. And I, I remember it being pretty good, but I was also like 10 years the old. The last thing I remember seeing was Payback with Mel Gibson and Chris okay. Christopherson. Yeah. Um, 
And I remember because I thought he did very well, but you also tell he had the arthritis in his hands. You look at his hands. Oh, okay. And he had the, yeah. you know, you know what I'm about? Yeah, yeah. Um, but he was, uh, his mind and voice and his skills were still there, but his body was starting to fail. Yeah. And then you also have Donald Pleasance, who went on to, was in several Hall- big movies. Halloween. Halloween, yes. yeah. Probably the biggest thing, uh, a few John Carpenter movies there. Uh, yeah, because he was in Escape from New York, wasn't he, too? Yes, uh, he, was a, he was president of Escape from New oh, York. He was president, right, right, right. Was right. Halloween. Uh, yeah. I think the Prince of Darkness was in that one. Yeah. Uh, a number of uh, yeah. movies with Carpenter. We'll def- other things. Yeah, we'll definitely be seeing uh, Donald Presence again on Countdown. And, um, Very good. And uh, Richard Attenborough, too. Oh, good. For the movie that, uh, you know, a thousand years from now, people are not going to see Richard Attenborough as the guy from Great Escape. He's going to be the guy from Jurassic Park. Park. Yes. So I'm uh, definitely going to be seeing him again. Um, and, yeah, this is a men's cast. And uh, even the guys like James Donald are from faces I know yeah. really well. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a big, giant uh, cast, mm-hmm. uh, which nowadays you would probably see all of them, the whole cast shown prior to the credits or all those one big giant yeah. collective cast instead of a few big stars and then all the secondary people. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of some big movie that was well, obviously one of the Marvel movies. Yeah. Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Uh, or uh, uh, Infinity War, which had the main characters from all the Marvel movies as well as all the secondary characters. Uh, probably the closest thing nowadays to a big blockbuster multi-star movie yeah. thing going on. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we have, uh, let's see what else we have. Uh, the, you have, uh, well, we already talked about James Carburn. He actually still stole the bike and it gets him to the cafe with yeah. the Nazi Rusha. It gets him to, gets to Spain. And um, they talk about before they go out, uh, they're 20 feet short. Yeah. And, uh, they're like, why? What happened? It doesn't matter what happened. We're 20 feet short, you know. And with the, it's got to be today or no day because all the you know, forged paperwork is for that day. Yeah. They got to be out that day. And all yeah. the paperwork to get on the planes, the trains, and automobiles is mm-hmm. good for one day only. We don't have time to redo anything. Yeah. And uh, so Steve McQueen's out there, like, signaling people and uh, trying to get them out. Um, you get them all out to the, uh, the train and, um, and the German guy spots Bartlett. You hear him say, Bartlett. You know, he's looking at him like, well, whatever, with his accent. And uh, McCallum's character, you know, basically runs interference. They lets him get away. And no, 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 no. Uh, Bartlett, Bartlett uh, McCallum comes out early. Uh, McCallum's character comes no, out. No, I mean, I'm saying when they're outside off the train. Off the train. Right. Yes. Uh, yes. I'm saying later, not on the train. Oh, you went, you went from the single Sorry. Yeah. 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 You got me confused on that. Yeah, yeah. The, they were but something the very similar happened coming out of the, uh, the hologram. Yeah. Where uh, a German spots something going on. And I thought it was very tense. Mm-hmm. Can imagine 63, very tense. There's the German with his flashlight looking at the at the uh, the forest and didn't see anything but right at his feet is the guy who's caused all the commotion mm-hmm. to bring attention to him. And he's got that white package. I believe that's Cavendish. Mm-hmm. He's got that white package and he's covering up so you can't see the white package in the mm-hmm. dark. And there's a German sitting right over him, looking out, so he didn't see no, him yeah. right below him. Yeah. And then the impatient guy comes up out, out of the ground behind him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're talking about at the train station. Right, right, right. That's what I, yeah, that's what I actually was talking about. Um, um, McCallum basically, you know, sacrifices himself sacrifice, yeah. to let Big X get He gets away. shot, and then, you know, it's a good move, but 
doesn't work out for Big X either. So, no. <laughs> um, and they have them all in the uh, back of the uh, the truck. I tell them to get out and stretch their legs. It's going to be a multi-hour ride. Yeah, we get out and stretch out now. Yeah, and yeah. Once uh, they had the three trucks going along the road, they split off in three different directions. When I first saw it, I knew something was up. Yeah, I didn't know what was going to happen yet, but I knew something was up. Then they got them out. I'm like, that's very kind of the Germans, and I'm supposed to be kind. And then, of course, yeah, shoot them all. Yeah, with a, with a Gatling gun and just mowing them right down in the yeah. field. Um, and they they get back, uh, and Von Luger is talking to uh, senior British officer SBO. Uh, I regret to inform you that fifty of your men were shot trying to escape. Trying to escape, and he's like, "How many were wounded?" Silence. Yeah, yeah. none were wounded. You know. <laughs> And uh, you get uh, Von Luger is uh, relieved of duty. They have his replacement, and uh, and the one guy says, "Don't salute him." And uh, don't salute him. He's not to be saluted. He's not in charge. Yeah, see, at the same time, uh, that was when Hiltz was being brought in. Yeah. And uh, Von Luger, as you mentioned, looks like they'll get to Berlin before I do, which means he's right. saying he's probably going to get shot, and yeah. killed. Yeah. And he also says before that he goes to. Uh, Says to Hilt's character, you know, you're one of the lucky ones. And Hilt's is, is talking, he realizes what he means by that. He goes, How many? Yeah, yeah. In, yeah. Short, in the short circuit, basically, the storytelling. Right. Hilt's knows they were killed. Right. Uh, right. Von Luger tells him 50. Yeah. We all know all that happened. Right, but right. The fact that, you know, they can short circuit that with the characters lets you know that the characters understand completely what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so yeah, it's a good little. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's not an uplifting ending, but they. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. McQueen's there. He survived, and a few of them are there. And uh, getting to the end where, um, there are the three Americans are still there mm -hmm. for an American movie. Um, yeah, right. And they have survived, and the Cooler King is back in the cooler. Mm -hmm. And despite all the things that have gone wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, some did get away, <clears throat> some survived, and the movie is, last credit, dedicated to the 50. Right, right. And that's how uh, the movie ends. And we'll be back right after this. We, we can't destroy the dirt, we can't eat it. The only thing left to do is camouflage it. That's as far as my thinking takes me. And they teach you promptness in the RN? You'll never believe it, but I think I have the solution. The problem is somehow to get rid of this tunnel dirt over the compound. Well, of course. Would you mind? Now, you fill these bags with the dirt from the tunnel. Then, Wearing them inside your trousers, you wander out into the compound where you pull these strings in your pockets. Out come the pins. Eric, it's good. All you have to do is kick it in. Unless you're a complete fool, the ferrets will never see a thing. It's indecently brilliant. What do you think, Roger? Eh? We'll try it first thing tomorrow. I already have. It works. Okay, we're back here on the podcast, and it's uh, time to play the uh, the trivia games we play every week. 
for the first game, I'm going to be asking Paul uh, questions. And my game is called Characters Welcome, uh, which is stole from Doug Loves Movies podcast. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm picking a movie that somebody from The Great Escape is in. And it's going to be a fairly well-known movie, something I know Paul is aware of, but he doesn't know the answer ahead of time, of course. I'm going to be naming characters starting near the bottom, just characters, not actors in that okay. movie. And Paul is going to try to guess the name of the movie, not necessarily the actor from right. The Great Escape. I'm going to try to guess before you mention anything. I'm going to try to go for my zero. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Halloween. No. <sighs> nope. Not even close. Not even close. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, NSA Hitman number two. NSA Hitman number two. Uh-huh. Enemy of the State. No. No. Uh, Marilyn Monroe. Not. The actress Marilyn Monroe. No. But a character yeah. Marilyn Monroe. Right. Uh, okay, NSA Hitman. It suggests a time of 1963, the Kennedy assassination area. Uh, Robin Avon. Uh, it's a movie I know. Fire? No. It's a pretty good guess. Um, Elvis. Elvis. Character, Elvis. Ah. Huh. I'm going to think this is actually Elvis Presley, but maybe just because Elvis in the movie. Uh, Elvis and Marilyn Monroe, and it's a hitman. Let me go back to thinking of actually in this movie. Let's see, Queen, James Garner, Richard Attenborough, Donald Pleasance, James. Uh, in like Flint. No. no. Uh, reporter number two. Reporter. I don't know. President Haney's caddy. President Haney. Caddy. President Haney. Escape from New York? No. Um, Chrissy Kramer. No. Uh, Colonel Colonel Paul Tanner. Yeah, you probably know that what this movie is by now. Uh, tank. <laughs> no. Um. Vice President Ted Matthews. Um. What was that one? Mars Attacks. No, it's a pretty good guess. Plus, everybody was in that, so. Um, President William Haney. Independence Day? No. Uh, I'm going to give you the character. This is the person that's in The Great Escape. President Matt Douglas. Two presidents? Wow. I feel kind of foolish now. Matt Douglas. Hmm. Let's see if the actor was in the great escape. President of the movie, NSA. Thomas Crown there. No. Uh, this is the final character, the top billed character in the movie. President Russell P. Kramer. Oh, I do know this movie. Hold on. Multiple presidents. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, is this one with James Garner and uh, yeah, and uh, Jack Lemon? Yeah, uh, and the other president was Dan Aykroyd. Dan, uh, it was uh, vice president was John Hurd. <laughs> yeah. uh, War for Brimley's in it. Lawrence Bacall <laughs> was in it. I can't. Uh, Unholy Alliances. It was something. It was a humorous movie. Uh, I can't remember the name of it now. Okay, my fellow Americans. My fellow Americans. Okay. It was a pretty good. It was, it was a pretty, pretty good, good movie. I saw it in theaters. Twenty-seven, uh, maybe. The guys playing the presidents were all older actors, right? So, oh, that's cool. And then playing four presidents, you get mixed up in something, and it was yeah. fun. Yeah, it was. Um, I didn't. I didn't expect that to be an easy one. But uh, yeah. I, I think I saw it once yeah. on HBO or Cinemax. Yeah. like that not in the theater. Mm-hmm. But once multiple presidents came into it, then they right. That was the that was the giveaway I had to get to that. All right. So for my game, I'm gonna try something a little different. Uh, you can you get my game pretty easy, and I think the way I've been running it's probably I need to rework it. So I've looked at the uh, based on IMDb, the top movies from 1963, the mm-hmm. the Great Escape came out. Great Escape is in this list. Mm-hmm. Um, the the ranking here is uh, based on the. Uh, the IMDb ranking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the number one movie has 7.8 stars, and the number 10 movie has 6.3 stars. So it's between 6.3 and 7.8 okay. stars as an IMDb ranking. Right. It's not necessarily a box office ranking or how many right. people bought tickets, whatever. This is just the IMDb ranking. Right. Some of these movies I have not heard of, or I have heard of and never seen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up one of these that I've known that I know, and I'm going to read the uh, the description. Mm-hmm. And see if you can guess what the movie is from 1963, yeah. just based on the IMDb description. All right. All right. And uh, let's see. The romantic and chivalrous adventures of adopted bastard title character in 18th century England. Uh, um. Little Lord Fauntleroy. No, no. Tom Jones. Tom Jones. Okay. Tom Jones. Okay. Let's see. Next one. This is a well-known movie. <clears throat> Romance and suspense ensue in Paris as a woman is pursued by several men who want a fortune her murdered husband had stolen. Whom can she trust? Uh, uh, Harry Grant. And uh, oh, Cary Grant, um, Cary Grant, Audrey Hepburn, Walter Matthau, James Colburn, <clears throat> um, directed by Stanley Donovan. Is that American in Paris? No, it is Charade. Oh, okay, okay. And the Great Escape is coming up next. Right. Okay, this one you might be able to get this one. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> a wealthy San Francisco socialite pursues a potential boyfriend to a small northern California town. That slowly takes a turn for the bizarre when all kinds of birds. The birds. <laughs> the birds. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, here's another one. Uh, a group of motorists hear about a crook's hidden stash of loot and race against each other across the country to Okay. It's and, a, and you got to say it correctly. It's a mad, 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 mad. World. Yes, you got four, four, four mads. Four mads is correct. I know that from Douglas movies because people have gotten wrong like a hundred times. It's four mads. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Next up. <clears throat> a bubbling French policeman travels to Rome to catch the notorious jewel thief known as the Phantom. 
before he conducts his most daring heist yet. A priceless princess diamond with one slight imperfection known as the title character. Um, the title, okay, I know what it is, but I'm trying to think. Uh, the Pink Panther. Yes. I, I can't remember if it was actually called The Pink Panther. It is The Pink one. Panther, which okay. everyone always thinks is the jewel thief. Right, right, right. The jewel itself. It's not the cartoon cat. <laughs> you know, there was uh, multiple movies um, that were not just Inspector Clouseau movies. There's yeah. a couple other ones that uh, yeah. came up that were made at the same time. Anyway, mm-hmm. here we go. Next up. <clears throat> the Queen experiences both triumph and tragedy as she attempts to resist the imperial ambitions of Rome. Cleopatra. Yes. Uh, this one might be a little bit tougher for you. A poor boy named Arthur learns the power of love, kindness, knowledge, and bravery with the help of a wizard called Merlin and the path to become one of the most beloved kings in English history. Um, um, centipede? Centipede. <laughs> I mean, I know the storyline, but I don't know exactly what the title is for sure. This was the animated classic, The Sword and the Stone. Oh, okay. And the number one movie, the last one on the list here. <clears throat> Honest and hardworking Texas rancher Homer Bannon has a conflict with his unscrupulous, selfish, arrogant, and egotistical son who sank into alcoholism after accidentally killing his brother in a car crash. Mm. The son's name is the name of the movie. Um, I don't even have a guess on that one. Mm. Mervyn Douglas played Homer. Paul Newman played the son, title character. Patricia Neal. Hmm. Um, it's a good movie. I can't think of it. Paul Newman movie, I should have a guess, but I don't even have a guess. Um, I don't know. HUD. Oh, okay. Okay. I know the I know the title at least. I know of it. Yeah. And that's with the uh, top ten. Movies from 63. I skipped over uh, Grayscape. Okay. But there were a couple other ones listed here that uh, <clears throat> the VIPs with uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. Mm-hmm. And These Are the Damned, which uh, is a kind of a, looks like some kind of weird science fiction movie, but I'd never heard of either one of them. I think, I've, heard, I think I've actually heard of These Are the Damned. There's no way I would have got no, <laughs> no, no chance. No, I, I didn't know. <laughs> if I don't know it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Odds are you don't. But yeah, it was, a, it was a driving movie, I think, probably. Um, so we're on the Great Escape, and it's talk about time to talk about who's your guy. Who's my guy? Um, let's see. Um, let me go back to the list here. Let me talk about your guy. Mm-hmm. Refresh my mind of who was in the movie. I think. Uh, I think. I think the Forger, Donald Pleasance. He's my guy. It was great to see him. He, he's such an innocent. Uh, the way he acts in this movie, at least, he's such an innocent character and you feel so bad for him because he's actually doing so much to help out and uh you know his vision basically takes it all away from him he has no chance to well he does get a chance but he doesn't succeed because of his vision and uh he basically dies because he doesn't know there's nazis pointing guns at him and he you know 
they shoot him. They think he's a threat. So I think Donald Pleasance is uh, is my guy. Very good, very good. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, wow. And let's go with the Henley, Henley the Scrounger. Okay. And the reason is that he's uh, um, between Henley and, and McQueen, they both show, I think, uh, stereotypical characteristics of American Americanisms. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> McQueen's the brash, bold, right? Got to get it done. Go out there and get it done. Do mm-hmm. it, you know? And whereas Henley is the more of the quiet, reserved, also get it done, but mm-hmm. more important support. And uh, what he gets done is is for for everyone. Mm-hmm. Whereas McQueen initially is for himself until yeah. he sees his friend Ives get killed, and then he's okay. I'm going to make his other big sacrifice. Yeah. But Henley all along is doing what he can for everybody. Yeah. Uh, so I want to go with uh, Henley's character, Scrouncher, the one who can get things and is working for everyone, and also puts a little bit of own sa- version of sacrifice when he brings Blight, your character, your character yeah. along with them, even though he can't see. Yeah. And I, I love James Garner. James yeah. Garner's great. There's that too. Yeah, he's he doesn't like James Garner. I mean, you know, um, yeah, I, I, that's a good choice. Um, now it's time to talk about the uh, the villains. Now I'm gonna go over the uh, our current top ten villains list. Uh, just so you know, every week we pick a villain from a movie, and then we re rank them if if they're evil enough into our top, top 10, ten villains. And this is an ongoing list. Based on the episodes we've done so far, it's a living list. Yeah, yeah. And um, top ten, uh, our number ten villain is uh, Clarence from True Romance. Number nine is Kyle's mom from South Park movie. Uh, Biff, Back to the Future. Snyder, uh, which is Charles Durning's character from The Sting. Uh, Johnny Favorite from Angel Heart. Jack from The Shining. Rusty Nail from Joyride. Buddy, that's Sean Hamm's character from Baby Driver. Hans Gruber from Die Hard. And number one villain on our list so far is the alien from the alien. Xenomorph. Yeah. Yes. And that's a pretty evil evil list there. Yeah. We're actually getting some evil people there for the most part. Yeah. Um, so who who is the villain <clears throat> in this movie? Who is the villain? Obviously, uh, you got to put a Nazi or the Nazis right. as the villain. Right. But there's no one... Nazi character True. that really stands out. You, you you might think it would be the the commandant, but he's actually more sympathetic yeah, to is. these officers yeah. than he, he probably is. should be. So I can really put him as the villain mm-hmm. and the other SS and uh, those just type of people only there for shortly. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, they're there for uh, I don't know character effect rather than actual dramatic effect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to put. Nazi Germany as the villain here. Mm-hmm. Um, they are in the middle of Germany somewhere, apparently. Yeah. Um, they are trapped within barbed wire all around. Mm-hmm. They can't get out. It is Nazi Germany that kills them. Um, it is somewhat fairly not anonymous when they are, when the 50 are killed by machine mm-hmm. gun fire. Right. In fact, this, this, the scene right after it is basically a still silhouette of the, the, the truck and the Nazis standing behind it in the and behind the truck and the Nazis is the, uh, the, the, the sidecar that yeah. had the gun on it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a, a silhouette, you know, to show mm-hmm. a very stark image right after the yeah. murder of uh, the 50. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it just, uh, it's the villain of the film is Nazi Germany. It's, I agree with that. Uh, yeah, the heroes are all against where they're incarcerated. 
and the individuals are shown just enough humanistic touches that each one isn't villainous enough, mm-hmm. but as a whole, mm-hmm. Nazi Germany is villain. I agree with that. Yeah, because the, the ones we do know aren't. Now they're fairly friendly. How high up the list can should they yeah. be? Now that's a big thing. Uh, traditionally in the in the world history, Nazi Germany is one of the biggest villains mm-hmm. in the history of mankind. Yeah. Um, even if you don't look at just say Hitler or an right. individual, Nazi Germany as a whole, as a entity, is mm-hmm. one of the biggest villains in the history of mankind. Yeah. But in the terms of movies, um this villain because it's defeated mm-hmm. and subverted despite their killing, and they are not on the top of the list. No. no. Uh, in fact, I'm not even sure how high up they're going to be. Um, uh, about, maybe above Biff, maybe? Definitely above Above Biff. Snyder? Above Snyder. I would even put them above Johnny and Jack. Really? Okay. Um, I would put them in the, what's that, Rusty Nails in number four. Mm-hmm. So somewhere in the top four or five is where I think they're going to be because everyone below that, Jack, Johnny, these are all more incidentally Mm -hmm. evil, villainous characters, whereas Nazi Germany, just from its historical perspective, is more deliberatively evil. Mm -hmm. But in context of the movie, how do they rank up against the villains we already have? What do you think? Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think it goes, uh, I think Nazi Germany, probably, uh, probably number five below Rusty Nail. Below Rusty Nail? Yeah. Rusty Nail is far more active. Yeah. Um, than the amorphous Nazi Germany. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, from a historical perspective, they should be number one. Yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe number two right behind, uh, nature itself. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, but in context of the movie, um, it's just a little bit too hard to grasp mm-hmm. um, the the physicality of this villain mm-hmm. in our list. Yeah, yeah I'm put him in four or five. Who's number four right now? Rusty, Rusty Nails Nail. number four. Uh, Jack. Jack is five. Uh, Shining. Mm-hmm. So Rusty Nail versus Nazis. I have to put this uh, Nazi Germany below Rusty Nail. Um, the reason mm-hmm. is that it's just a little too amorphous of a villain. Yeah. But too inherently evil to be below Jack. Yeah. Jack's more the guy who went insane. Yeah. Whereas everyone else above here are more deliberately evil. Yeah. Okay. So Nazi Germany is uh, number five now. Number five. And then who moves off? Clarence. 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 Person who right. pretty much uh, caused all the trouble in yeah. the true romance. Yeah. Falls off the list. Falls off the list. And yeah. who's that put at number 10 now? Kyle's, Kyle's mom. mom. That big fat bitch. Yeah, exactly. She's a big fat bitch. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, Clarence falls off the list. And before we get on to what we normally do next, I wanted to bring up something we have been talking about but we've missed lately is the Bechdel test. This movie comes nowhere near it. The Bechd- okay, the Bechdel test. <laughs> I believe there isn't even a female listed in the credits. I don't think there's a female in the movie, period. In, in crowd scenes, there are women. Okay. Um, um, and uh, assuming that they were women, not just men yeah. playing women. 
there were a number of women with scarves on their heads at the train station. So, oh, yeah, yeah. But there was true. no one who talked to anyone. Right, right. There was no one with any name, but literally yeah. there was no one, no female right. that spoke in this group. Right. Um, I bring it up as a joke because there's this is the least. You know, and I'm wondering if, if there test. are going to be any movies. Have we had any movies? Oh, yeah. What? South Park movie. South Park. South Park movie. This is funny. When Carl's, but, Carl's mom was talking to Carmen's mom yes. about uh, rim jobs. That, that's right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> To the high to, point of our podcast. <laughs> I'm beginning to... <coughs> sorry. It's, it's going to be all choked up. Yeah. I'm beginning to wonder if it's you yeah. and not the test. Right, right. Are we really talking about the test or are we talking about your choices? Yeah. Well, that, that might be true. But uh, yeah. So, of course, it fails the Bechdel test. Yes. Uh, so next, it's time to talk about the list, the list number. And where uh, Paul... First of all, where is this on Paul's list? Uh, this... All time. All time list. This is such a fun movie. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Spider Man. Uh, this is a well made movie, and I like a lot of the stuff in the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty my top hundred. I'm not sure where. Probably mm -hmm. on the low end. Probably in the uh, 90s somewhere. Okay, 192 somewhere in there. Yeah. I want to put on the top 100, but mm -hmm. it wouldn't be high up there. Yeah. Um. And I, I really I've actually made a list. So I'm just kind of guessing where I'd put it. Okay. Uh, so, but yeah, I put in the list, but top hundred for me. Okay. So, what do you think it is on for my you, list? Uh, it's older. You didn't see it till later in life. Mm -hmm. It is on the list. Mm -hmm. uh, let me bring up the last. Oh, you really threw me for a loop on the alien there. Yeah. Yeah. Where I, I put it so high up and it was so low down. Uh, ba -da -ba -ba. This is All right. So, here is the list. Okay, okay. <coughs> Open up a list. Well, here it is. Right, it's so finished. I'll get quick. There's that one. Mm -hmm. Did get down there. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's going to be also on the low end for you. Um, I've heard you talk glowingly of any of these actors or the director in the past, even though we only have about 20 movies. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> the, I do know you like war movies. Um, so maybe higher up is still below the list. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to go with, uh, say, is the movie count 63? Yeah. I'm going to say 64. Okay. This is number 28 on my list. 28. Wow. So far off. Yeah. Wow. This uh. It's a great one. You like it uh, so much more than I thought you did. Yeah, yeah. You've been way off the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's 28 on my list. It, it's like I don't even know. Yeah. It's, it's like I don't even know you anymore. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, obviously I love it a lot. It's pretty high on my list. So, man, it really. Uh, what is it about the, the movie that really puts it so high on the list for you? I mean, the, the huge cast, um, the story's great. The fact that it's it's pretty funny, too. and. Uh, you know, I don't know. Just overall, it's just, I think it's just a really well-made movie, and it's definitely a movie a lot of people love, too, and I do, too. So it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty hot on the list. Wow. Um, and, uh, Paul, what kind of plugs do you have? Do you have any plugs? You know, if I'm thinking about this, you know, I usually don't make plugs, but I think I'm going to change it up a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. I do like this movie. It would be on my list. Mm -hmm. I like to plug similar type movies. Um, okay. 
last weekend, this week, I mentioned Stalag 17, very good mm-hmm. prisoner of war movie from World War II. Um, Kelly's Heroes mm-hmm. uh, came around within uh, five or six years of this movie. Yeah. Another World War II movie. Mm-hmm. Um, had some cast, cast member crossover between these two movies as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, a caper movie. Not mm-hmm. so much a war movie as the caper movie. Yeah. Certain Clint Eastwood. Um, and I mentioned these two because they are, I think, you know, somewhat similar vein to The Great Escape. Mm, and yeah. different different spectrums, different ends yeah. of the spectrum. In fact, I would put uh, Stalag 17 as a dramatic, dark film. Mm-hmm. Great Escape in the middle. And then Kelly's Heroes as a caper movie. But they all take place during World War II, different aspects that are mm-hmm. looking at the war. Mm-hmm. Um, I avoided some of the more modern, darker, brutal uh, tellings of the war, like Saving Private Ryan or uh, Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. Because... The Great Escape itself is a type of movie from that era. And yeah. I'd rather people go back and look at some of our movies from the era that look at the same things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my plugs is just uh, is our podcast. Uh, oh, we have a podcast? Yeah. Oh. Uh, it's called 100 Movies I Love. And uh, just uh, tell your friends uh, and uh, like us or love us or subscribe or set for automatic download. Um and, uh, you know, get more people to listen to us. Um, that's basically my plug. Um, and uh, it's time to talk about uh, what we're doing next week. Uh, next week, you need to make sure uh, everybody gets into position one and um, make sure your product, product placement is uh, ready and uh, get out your map of Fiji. And uh, next week, we'll be talking about The Truman Show. On 100 Movies I Love. 100 Movies You Love. What? Huh? What is it? They're celebrating the revolution. It's the 4th of July. Devil's this. invited for free drinks at the wash stand. The 4th of July, a little present from the colonial. Down the British. Yeah, yeah, Quite right, too. And a little drink to Tom. And to getting home. Thank you. Yeah, well, we accept. Up the rebels. Down the British. Gentlemen, if you care to follow us, how about... Hey! Hello, Neff. Hard! He is not to be saluted. He's no longer in command. Job just didn't work out, huh? You were lucky, Hills. Lucky? Maybe because I didn't. How many? Fifty. It looks, after all, as if you will see Berlin before I do. <laughs>